0: Hey, hey, good morning, Scott Luden, Greg White, with you here on Supply Chain. Now, welcome to today's live stream, Gregory. How are we doing today? I'm recovering well,
1: Scott. I'm recovering well.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so you spent last week in Wichita doing some entrepreneurial and and innovative and incubative things, and then you spent right. Um, you spent the weekend, I think, in Kansas City, right?
1: Yeah, that's correct. I'm still here, actually. So.
0: And the Chiefs, the, the outcome didn't come our way, but you had some delicious barbecue and some great uh, conversations, right?
1: Yeah, I got to spend some time with uh, you know some of the folks that I work with in this part of the country and um, see that beautiful stadium and watch the rain and the tears fall as the game <laughs> went on. So
0: yeah, well, the Kansas City Chiefs undoubtedly will be back, just a matter of time, making a few tweaks and adjustments, right? Right, Scott. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. All right. Well, folks, we got a great show lined up today. It's the Supply Chain Buds here today. We come at you every Monday at 12 noon with some of the key news that you need to be keeping your finger on the pulse of really across global business. And Greg, we've got a very special repeat guest joining us in about 15 minutes or so. Yeah. James Malley with Pacurate. Now, Greg, we tried to bring James with us last week, but- We
1: tried to bring all of us last week, didn't we? And (laughs) The internet conspired against
0: us. No kidding. Man, The the, half the world was out, it seems like. But great to have James back with us here today. Uh, His last appearance really uh, got a ton of feedback uh, from uh, all of you, our global community. So stay tuned for that in about 15 minutes. Okay. So, Greg, let's do this. Um, Let's talk about, really quick, this upcoming webinar we've got on November 12th. No, no. I'm sorry. November 9th 9th at 12 noon. There, there we go. go. So, Laura Ciceri, Marath Durba, and myself, we're we'll be talking about supply chain in 2022 and beyond, building resiliency and agility. And if you hear Greg, when we went to him last time, what's one thing you got to focus on, supply chain leaders? Your answer is agility, right? It is. It is, so, absolutely. So join us. For, you
1: can't predict all the catastrophes that are going to befall you. Right. Right. And we're going to talk about that a little bit today as well. So you have to be able to respond, right? What I, I think the word I used was dogma, right? We must release the dogma. Yes. We let the dogma out and <laughs> and focus on resiliency and agility, the ability to respond to the unexpected when it inevitably happens.
0: Yes. Well said. Join us for free November 9th, 12 noon Eastern time. Okay. So Greg, I'm going to surprise you with this little picture here. This comes from oh, our Lord. trip to Miami. Now, folks. Oh yeah. Look, ch- take a look at this image, and let me tell me one thing you notice. I'll tell you what I notice. You notice how Greg, all four of us were looking in different places except Greg. Greg's got that million-dollar lock-in with the camera, always on. Greg, always on, never misses a thing. <laughs> That's funny you say that. I think we had a lot of people (laughs) taking pictures at once, didn't we? (laughs) Maybe so. Uh, From from left to right here, we have Kevin Heath, uh, COO at Omnia Partners, a GPO on the move. And we got Paul Noble, uh, founder and CEO of Verison, which is another organization on the move. And we really enjoyed uh, time down there with hundreds of our uh, best friends in Miami, didn't we, Greg? it was
1: beautiful. Yeah, and it was a great session and as, you know, and as the team had as a goal, it was a great opportunity to get together as human beings, right? right. I mean, and man, did they put on a show.
0: Man, first class. Uh completely agree with you. Um, and yeah. so y'all can check out we've published three episodes from our time in Miami from uh, the buzz two weeks ago to a couple of follow-up uh, video podcasts. Y'all check that out. Maybe we can l- drop the links in the comments. Um, right. In the meantime, Greg, why don't we say hello to a few folks. You ready? Yes, let's do that. Avanesh is tuned in via LinkedIn. Hello. Uh, let us know where you're tuned in from. We'd love to know. Uh, Paul is with us as well from Sierra Leone. Oh, wow. Uh, via LinkedIn. Ever been to Sierra Leone? Greg? I haven't. I was just talking about that part
1: of the world uh, over the weekend, as a matter of fact, and I have never kind of been in that that strip.
0: Well, we'll see if we so. can't change that. And then we have Azalea is back with us. Uh, good morning. Feels good to be here today, she says, and see you all. Great to see you, Azalea. Good pick there. I like that. Yes. Well, and uh, I guess it's still relatively new. New, new resident of Nashville. Right. Uh, the music city. So, uh, let us, know. we'd love to know what you, uh, what, what you did with your weekend as I lay in Nashville. Hopefully you got some great food and, and took in some tunes. You know, who's with us, Greg? Big show, Bob Bova. <laughs> That's right. From Ir, uh, Irvy. I wonder, that must be Irvine is what I'm thinking. Yeah. Yeah. Bob, hope this finds you well. That's
1: home of one of my favorite, uh, in and out burgers. Really? One in Irvine is yes very special
0: place to be very special. I've never been old school. Of, yeah. <laughs> I have never had an, in a, in an out burger.
1: So originally that you didn't actually go in, it was kind of like, I think they're called rallies in the South where it has drive throughs on both sides.
0: Really? Yeah. Yeah. Well, how very about cool. they learn something new every day? <laughs> St- Stacy, Stacy's with us from Zambia via LinkedIn. Great to see you, Stacy. Look forward to hearing your thoughts here today. Uh, folks, let us know, Amanda, Jada, or Allie, thanks for, all. first off, what you do behind the scenes. Let's know who this is from Austin and who this is from the UK. Now, Bob Malley is with us. Hello, good morning, Bob. Um, CEO of Synflex uh, there in Massachusetts. Now, a little hunch. I wonder if Bob might know anyone on the sh- today's show, Greg. What do you think?
1: I don't. Think so. No, doesn't seem likely, does it? <laughs> we'll have to ask. Well, well to I ask bet. our top
0: secret <laughs> guests. That's right. Uh, so stay tuned. Uh and Bob, we look forward to hearing your thoughts. And thanks for hosting, by the way, one half of the live stream, maybe one third of the live stream. <laughs> um, let's see. Fumzil, Fumzil, uh, from South Africa, uh, Johannesburg. Great to see you here via LinkedIn. Uh uh, Greg's tough to do one of these without our dear friend, Dr. Rhonda, right? Yeah,
1: it is. And, and it seems like her, her picture is always appropriate because I always imagine her actually out on a jog or a run or a hike or climb or something while she's doing, while
0: we're doing this. Right. Absolutely. Uh, gorgeous shots out there. Bob says double, double animal style. Is that how you like have your in and out?
1: Have we ever eaten it in a burger before <laughs> together? Cause that's exactly it. <laughs>
0: uh for shot menu a secret menu first shot is tuned in from Tehran via LinkedIn great to see you for shot looking forward to your perspective oh good I'll let you introduce this one Greg
1: hey the doc holiday of supply chain Fred Tolbert <laughs> I cannot wait to see what you say Fred yeah please regale us
0: that's right You got it. You got to bring it, Fred. Uh, You set a high standard around here. He says it's a great day to be in supply chain. Of course, every day, Fred says, is a great day to be in supply chain. Chuck Johnston joining in from Roswell, Georgia. Now, Greg, Roswell is one of our favorite new places to eat, maybe. And the name of that steakhouse we went to was what? Little Alley. Little Alley. Yeah. So, Chuck. Let us know if you've ever eaten at Little Alley's. It's now home to one of my favorite steaks in all of Metro Atlanta. Uh, Little Alley
1: or Lola's, uh, I think, Burgers and Tequila or something like that is kind of across the street, which I like.
0: Yep. (laughs) Hey, we got some pop-in visitors. You never know what's going to happen here on the (laughs) bus. And that happened to be Jada with our production team. She's a big Dallas Cowboys fan. And she's happy from this. She probably
1: weekend. wanted to say something about the weekend, didn't she? <laughs> she
0: she's saying no in the in in the uh, behind the scenes. So great, great. Appreciate what Jada and the whole team does. Um, gosh, we got a bunch, bunch of folks here today. Steven from Edmonton, Alberta, Canada via LinkedIn. Oh uh,
1: yes. Friendly Alberta. Friendly Alberta. Oh, that's friendly Manitoba, isn't it? <laughs> Sorry. I'm thinking of license plates in Phoenix. Okay. It's that time when the leaves don't change color, the license plates do in
0: Phoenix. (laughs) Well, let's, uh, and that was Ruben. Let's see here. Ruben Valdez was the earlier commenter from Austin. So great to see Ruben. And just a really quick note, folks, if it says LinkedIn user, when when we pop up your comment, it just means you've got a setting. Kind of like a semi-private setting on your LinkedIn profile that doesn't allow folks to kind of see if you're you're active. So if you want to change that, go to your LinkedIn profile and uh, it should be a pretty straightforward setting. Bob Malley, proud dad, he says. So hey, I can see why uh, James has uh, he uh, James has his hair on fire, doing some big things. And of course, we love his visits with us here, and we get a lot of feedback on his thought leadership and his company Packard. So uh, I'd be proud too, Bob. Okay, Greg. Uh, there's so many other comments we can't get to today. We, we've got we've got kind of a jam packed agenda today. I think we're yeah. tackling five news stories. Is that right?
1: Well, yeah, but we jammed two of them together because we want to kind of compare the couple perspectives. So, so can we say it's four? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> well, but it's a lot. We, yes, we can. Anyway.
0: We can do whatever you'd like to do, Greg. As always, uh, we got to call out this here, Lee Klascow. So, folks. Oh my. Uh, Greg Bloomberg in the house. He is one of industry's top analysts, top uh, voices. uh, Lee can cut through the noise like few people can. So make sure you're connected to Lee. Make sure you're following him. I think especially LinkedIn is probably the main social channel beyond what they publish at Bloomberg. Right, Greg?
1: Yeah. And Lee, this next story has opposing views as to the future of supply chain disruption, so you need to stay tuned in and and sound off
0: on on these articles. That's right. I want to hear from you, Lee? And we got to get you reconnect and get you back on the air with us. So all the best to you and the, you and the family and his. You know, last time we chatted with Lee, he had a new dog in the house, but I'm sure that dog is now r- rules the Old roost. Dog. I imagine. Oh. <laughs> <Dog>.
1: <laughs> okay. Well-established dog. Well-established
0: that. dog. That's right. All right. So a full house here today, full house, looking forward to a great conversation. Let's go ahead and, and bring on our guest here today. So again, James is not new to this space. He's been in the supply chain space since 2009. He's especially been focused during that time on innovative technology. You'll hear more about that today. I want to welcome in James Malley, CEO of PackRate. Hey, hey, James, how are we doing this morning?
2: Great. How are you guys doing?
0: Doing wonderful. Doing wonderful. You're you're on the road a bit, uh, and it's yep. great to see Mr. Bob Malley uh, with us he, uh, here today. Two weeks ago, I think your sister joined
2: us as well, right? I have a, a very supportive family. Um, I'm only mildly nervous about what they might say in the chat, and I'm actually reporting live <laughs> from my parents' basement, so... Um, I prop something up. So you have a future
1: in podcasting. (laughs) And if you're recording live from your parents' face, that's that's right. right.
2: That's a requisite.
1: That's right.
0: Awesome. (laughs) Well, um, so let's dive right in, James. We've really enjoyed our recent conversations. I think we've got a great one teed up today. Um, But before we get to the heavy lifting, let's give me, I'm going to give, get you and Greg to each give me one highlight from the weekend. And so, James, to start with you, what's, what's been your one highlight this past weekend? Uh,
2: well, I was telling you pre-show that my laptop exploded. Uh, I don't know if that's a highlight <laughs> or not, but <laughs> that was uh, certainly a notable event. Uh, but just get getting to be around family uh, for the first time in a while mm. uh, has been uh, fantastic. So, And when, when's the last time you saw your folks? Uh couple months I think it's just you know it's every time you want to go visit it's not like we're that far away but because of the pandemic and everything it's like suddenly uh you know it's a factor you have to weigh in every time
0: so well uh hope you have a wonderful rest of your time there uh Bob Malley we hear you're a uh a wonderful Smoker with your Traeger. So, uh, if you got any pictures, send them our way. We we got to see those those smoke rings in that meat, right, James?
2: Uh, don't get him started. <laughs>
0: okay, all right. So, Greg, <laughs> we talked a little bit about your travels last week, and I think I saw Mohib in the comments uh, with Wichita State University. Uh, but Greg, g- give us uh, your one big highlight from the weekend.
1: Yeah, well, I was at Wichita Startup Week, um, which was a TechStars event sponsoring. Uh, or kind of guiding um, some incredible knowledge sharing among a bunch of technology people in Wichita and uh, met someone who I had heard of but never met, James Chung. Uh, The Chung Report, which what James's firm does is predictive analytics around the economics of entire uh, cities and ecosystems and industries, and it is really impressive, particularly impressive Um, because he is from Wichita, and I had never really heard of him, but wow, just an impressive speaker, incredible view on that. And then, of course, got to meet with a lot of folks. Greg Giefer, who uh, is the Chief Revenue Officer at Dari Motion, Hmm. this really cool technology that scans your entire body. It's being used by the NFL, and it can predict injury because of range of motion or positioning of, uh, you know, of like body parts and, and, you know, as opposed to where they're supposed to be and where they actually are, incredibly valuable. I mean, it's going to be really valuable for not only athletics, which is super cool, right? So you can hopefully prevent some injuries, but also um, for um, work injuries and maybe preventing, uh, you know, a lot of uh, at work injuries. So it's a pretty cool technology as well
0: does it work on the teams themselves in terms of the predictive pain from a bad season?
1: Uh, uh,
0: not, not that,
1: but I can tell you that I, uh, I think about 90% of the people they predicted would be injured in the first week of the NFL season were actually injured. Wow! I mean, okay. it's that accurate and that is incredibly valuable,
0: right? You, you don't want to be on that uh, technology's radar. Bad things will happen. It sounds like to you. So, um, all right. So Greg sounds like a big, big week. I look forward to hearing some of your additional key takeaways from your travels. And I hope we get out to, uh, back to Wichita. It's been since 2002 that I was there. We'll have to go make a trip. Supply chain now might invade Wichita at some point. We'll see. There you go. Um, okay. And I see, uh, Gregory is tuned in as well. Uh, so James Gregory is the Shakespeare of supply chain. So get ready as we hear, some of his uh, melodic takeaways. It's like a symphony. It's wonderful. So Gregory, the gauntlet's been thrown down. And Mohib says, now we have a Wichita State University supply chain bowling night. If you're in town, sign up and join in the fun. Hey, let's go bowling, folks. James, you want to take a trip? Absolutely. Okay. <laughs> you I, never know. Hey,
1: I used your joke this weekend, by oh. the way, in Wichita, and it went over really well.
0: Really? Well, do share. What uh, what joke oh, do you speak of? You on? do
1: it so much better. No. <laughs> I have a supply chain joke for you but it could take you a couple months to get it.
0: (laughs) James, that is not my joke. We stole that shamelessly. I think from the Twitter, your Twitter verse. So, but (laughs) I digress. Um, all right. Well, Greg, hopefully, uh, you did use it. Hopefully you enjoyed, uh, the conversations you had. Sounds like you had a wonderful time and we look forward to doing it again soon. All right. So James Malley, James Malley, we've got five different stories we're going to walk through. I'm gonna go ahead and pop the first one up here. Um, actually the first two. So I'm going to, we've got kind of two diametrically opposed um, predictions for where we are and where we're headed. So the first one here comes from the Wall Street Journal and y'all can see this via the visual. It says global supply chain problems escalate, threatening economic recovery. Now this was a really deep read. It's going to be tough to do this justice in a few few minutes time, but y'all check that article out. And then Published, I think, James, just a few hours within each other. You had this other one. This is more of an opinion piece by John uh, Desard. Yes, I think you're right. Yeah. Uh, via the Financial Times. And the title is, The Worst of the Supply Chain Crisis is Over. Okay. So, James, we got two, two different um, predictions, two different kind of uh, crystal ball uh, readings.
2: What's your take? Well, I thought it was pretty hilarious that they came out uh, within a couple, uh, just a two hours of each other, I think. Um, But, and and I don't want to rag on the Financial Times author too much, um, but I I think it's a good example of how supply chain, uh, you know, journalism, but just in general as well, it's a topic with a lot of breadth and depth. Um, And if you focus more too much on the depth of, you know, a single point in the supply chain, you're kind of going to miss the... The uh, forest through the trees. Mm-hmm. Um, so the the Financial Times. Uh, what was his name? Miss Dizard. Uh, John Dizard. Yeah, yeah. He uh, he. You know, he did some work. He he did his research and um, you know, kind of did some data analysis of uh, cargo ships at port and was kind of showing that there's some, some percentage decreases in backlog at certain ports around the world, mm. um, which in isolation could be taken for fantastic news. Um, however, if you then found the Wall Street Journal article, you'll see that they zoomed way out and looked at much more critical issues across the entire supply chain. Um, I don't know if that was your take, Scott, but um, I, th- I thought the Wall Street Journal thesis um, or sort of main uh, point was the most important takeaway. And that was um, the global economy is just completely out of sync with uh, you know the dwindling pandemic. Right. Um, you know, uh, retailers and manufacturers in the West uh, want all this, all the goods and raw materials because their customers want it. Um, but suppliers in uh, Asian countries and elsewhere uh, are still locked down or have um, severe restrictions and they just can't get the material there.
0: Right. Yeah, I, I generally agree with you. I think you know we, we love our good news around here. And if you look hard enough, you can find some optimistic you know, segments or metrics or you name it. And so I can appreciate John Desard's approach there, but based on what we're seeing and the fingers on the pulse, we're um, what the conversations we're having, uh, the practitioners and the supply chain leaders that, that we're hearing from as kind of reflected by the wall street journal piece, which was a deep dive, kind of a more systemic approach to what's going on in the path ahead. I think we got a lot more pain and and I, I don't, think the worst is ahead of us. I think the good thing we've got cooking um, is, you know, we, we each, as each day passes some of these newer, more unique challenges, we've got some more experience with. Right. And it sounds kind of silly to think a day of experience is valuable, but I would argue it's very valuable. So we'll see what's around the corner. I think, you know, year end kind of where we've been and where we're headed. uh, It's going to be a, it's going to be a, a uh, season that keeps on giving, right? And lessons learned, and and a lot more pain. But uh, I'm not sure if we're through the thick of it yet. Greg, what's your uh, what's some of the things on your mind?
1: Yeah, I was fascinated that the pundits, as knowledgeable and well researched as they both can be, come up with virtually opposite assessments <laughs> of right. of the situation. And and um, I also there were a couple points in in drissard's um article that were a little bit interesting to me he was saying that the carriers the shipping companies need to um allow people to get off these ships and in fact in a later story that we're going to discuss today we're going to talk about the fact that it is not even in the hands of the shipping companies to allow their their sailors off of those ships so right um, and then there were some other you know kind of Macro understandings, as James said, you know, if you don't if you think about the world the way that people have thought about the world generally and without the very complex context of supply chain, I could see where he would come to some of those conclusions. He's just wrong. Um, (laughs) And and, uh, you know, I think that what's further interesting about that, as we think about the future of supply chain and future disruptions and the past, frankly, of the last 18 months. If you think about the disruptions that we've experienced, that the supply chain always experiences, um, those have not been the catastrophic ones, not even the weather in Texas or a ship being stuck in the Suez Canal, which, by the way, has happened before. But what has been difficult, and it'll be evidenced by this final article that we're going to talk about, is the... um, somewhat misguided and inconsistent application of of assistance or guidance or regulation by the governments around the world and that is impossible for the supply chain to predict and deal with because
2: oh Uh -oh, i'm in suspense
0: (laughs) we're all in suspense we may have lost greg there momentarily uh as he is on the road uh from kansas city but you know he makes a good point there, and we'll see if we can grab him back in a second. Um, you know, there's talk here in the states, James, about the supply chain creating a supply chain czar. You know, kind of a, a pseudo government official that may have the wherewithal to break through certain rules and and regulations and, and create um, actionable consensus, I might call it. Um, have you have you heard any of that? And and um, any thoughts on that?
2: Uh, I mean, on the one hand, I think it's great. As you know, supply chain sort of enters the public consciousness, um, and you know the government's like, maybe we should have somebody deal with this problem. (laughs) Uh, But on the other hand, it's kind of, you know, I don't envy whoever that person is. Um, You know, global supply chain or national supply chain. It's hard to just be like, all right, you go, you just take care of that problem, (laughs) uh, and we'll (laughs) be fine. you know, I think as as we always as we said last time, and we're talking about today, um, and as those two articles kind of uh, are evidence of, it's a massively complex system. It's it'd be like trying to fix, you know, global weather patterns. Right. Um, there's just so much that you can't control. Yes. Um, and and really, the you know, so a good supply chain practitioner uh, sort of embraces the chaos a little bit. Right and just focuses on what they can do or what they have control over.
0: Excellent point. And, and while Greg's not here, I'm going to share a little, little opinion here. I, I think, I think some good could be, could some good could come out of something like that. I think some of the things within our control is uh, you know, as, as, been, as has been pointed out with the ports, you know, our, our ports in this country uh, it's been said are decades behind ports in other parts of the world, you know, rather than them, them working as one big system, you know, fully communicating with each other, full visibility, you know, multi-party data sharing, they don't work like that. They work more in kind of fiefdoms, right? And and so I think that's an opportunity that might would take a very unique uh, use of power, influence, authority, resources to create, uh, really transform um, how ports do business uh, here, at least in the States. But to your point, it is massively complex uh, in a way that, So few people really get, um, you know, if something happens here in Georgia, it can reverberate around, you know, halfway around the world. It's amazing how it's like a a global organism that supply chain works. So I appreciate your perspective. We may be regaining Greg here in a minute. Uh, While we do that, I want to say hello, Debbie, also in Wichita. Great to see you here today. Look forward to your take on this. Uh, Rhea, or Rhea, maybe uh, tuned in from Singapore via LinkedIn. Great to see you. Looking forward to your perspective, and Sicily, uh or Sally, maybe. Uh, I apologize if I get if I get names wrong. Let us know. Uh, it's very important to get everybody's name right. Uh, and he is tuned in from Uganda uh, via LinkedIn. Uh, let's see here. And Stephen also agrees. With, I think with our prevailing assessment that we are not through the pains just yet. I'm with you, Stephen. Okay. Let's see. There we are. <laughs>
2: I get to be on top now. All right. So
0: I feel like the guest now,
1: James. Thanks for having me on, James. Let's get right. his
0: take first. That's right. Um, and Rhonda says so many variables coming into play. And, and Rhonda, I'm with you. You know, especially when you when you move from, you know, the U.S. current state and you kind of the U.S. Uh, market and you get into you know um, the the global organism that is supply chain. All right. So Greg, you are kind of. Halfway making a point, I kind of threw out there while you were gone what James thought of the idea of a supply chain czar. But you were kind of talking about how um, some of the governmental um, governmental involvement is, was creating some challenges. So uh, finish your point, and we'll move on to what's next.
1: Yeah, that's the hardest thing to predict is what governments will do because it's often in an effort to curry favor or, or uh, establish political position or based on supreme ignorance. Um, and. And short-sighted goals, right? Changing public opinion rather than actually creating a a real and sustainable solution. And that really disrupts supply chain. So that, and we will continue to see that. We've seen it. We're going to talk, as I said earlier, we're going to talk about it in yet another one of these stories and its impact on supply chain. So um, that's the thing that we really have to work. And look out for because we've always faced the other types of of disruptions in supply chain. The difference being now everybody is actually paying attention to supply chain and knows what those impacts mean. Mm. We asked for it, right? We wanted a seat at the table and we got it. We gotta deliver. So we gotta deliver. Yeah. There is no hiding anymore. And I'm not saying anybody was hiding, but there is nowhere to hide now as a supply chain professional.
0: Mm. Well said. Okay. Uh Let's let's welcome in Stacy's perspective he, here. She says, I think the one takeaway is supply chain personnel who is a good risk manager will be able to adapt to sudden changes, maybe better able to adapt to sudden changes. And that's you know simple genius right there. That's exactly right. Excellent. I point. mean, yeah. Okay. James, one last word before we move on to what's going on at the US Postal Service. Any any final thought there?
2: Uh uh, about the two articles? Not yeah. not really. I mean, I, I think, you know, if if the container ships are in the news, whatever's in the news next, there's going to be some journalists that only focus on that thing. Maybe, you know, FedEx has a problem. And then when that problem alleviates, they'll say, well, now the supply chain is sort of up and running again. Right. Uh, so you kind of have to, if you, you know, if you're interested in supply chain, but you're not in the space, you really have to choose your sources carefully, I would say. Nice. That's great advice. And
1: many, I think, James, don't you think? I mean, I think we need a broader perspective, even from supply
0: chain professionals. Yep. Excellent point. I'm curious to know what Bob Malley thinks. I wonder if Bob thinks that we've gotten past the worst of it. Uh, we'll see if he chimes in. And, and folks, we want to know. What Just have th- him come down. James. Right, yes. <laughs> <and> hey, Dad. <laughs> um, folks, let us know. That's right. <laughs> We'd love to know uh, what you're thinking about these. But let's shift gears. I want to pop in this next uh, article here. So, the Pony Express used to be a thing, right? And we're not talking about the SMU um, offense back in the '80s, but the Pony Express, uh, what at the time was very innovational. But of course, that was uh, that was centuries ago. Well, there's some big changes taking place at the United States Postal Service that were taking maybe a, um, a few steps back, maybe maybe reembracing some things of the past. So as this market watch article says, starting October, sending mail is getting slower and more expensive just in time for the holidays. So James, what's going on with the U
2: S postal service? Well, I love the picture. It makes it seem like the post office used to be much more action packed. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Right. uh, But the, the gist of it is uh, some first class mail is getting more expensive and will take a day or two longer. Um, Perhaps the the piece that'll affect more of us is um, peak uh, shipping charges, anywhere from seventy five cents to five dollars uh, a parcel. Um, so that's bad. But other than that, I have kind of because this is a few days old, this news, right? And over the weekend, I was trying to you know crystallize my thoughts, and I'm I'm still fairly conflicted um, because on the one hand, um, I'm a bit of an idealist, and uh, you know. The post office has been around since our country's founding and um, is, you know, arguably responsible for the flourishing of democracy (laughs) here. Um, And so they were given a civic mission uh, basically from the very beginning. Um, And so as part of their 10-year plan, they talk a lot about being profitable. And I don't think that's appropriate. Um, I don't think the post office is meant to be profitable. Hmm. On the other hand, uh, the world has changed a lot of people don't realize that the post office is not run from taxpayer dollars though they've been um, you know borrowing from the treasury since I was in college right uh, they have to sustain their operations with revenue um, and so I think you know they have to adapt in order to keep the operation going and if that means they need to you know raise some prices here and there I mean e-commerce has changed how things move around the country uh, permanently right so so some adaptation is needed, but that's why I'm a little conflicted on um, maybe not the news so much as the the kind of explanation that they're giving for it.
0: Excellent point. Okay, so really quick before I feel like we're going to get some some uh, tell it like it is from Greg White here. But really quick, I, I think so many, th- so many things have changed since the United States Postal Service was set up. Um, and I, I, just my take, I think a lot of organizations are taking advantage and it's it's ca- adding to volume and it's impacting all the folks that that um, that perhaps need to rely on it. Right. I used to send up my in our first business. We had we sent a bunch of stuff through the mail, a lot of times certificates related to training. And we learned early on we didn't use the postal service. You get what you pay for at times. So. We went UPS ground, all that stuff. And it worked like a charm. You know, we paid a few extra bucks, but it works so much better. And um, so I, I'm not sure exactly what changes have to take place. Cause James, you alluded to, it, it's been a, um, you know, it's, it's been um, a lot of in the red for, for a long time. Right. And it, and also has impacted various aspects of the service, the core service itself. But Greg, Bringing you in uh, as we are uncovering what the plans are with United States Postal Service in the uh, months to come, years to come, perhaps, what are some of your thoughts when you hear about these changes taking place?
1: Well, I applaud the effort. Um, you know, they lost $845 million fewer dollars in the last quarter than they had in the same quarter of the prior year. But still, it's an incredible drag on, on the uh, economy right. and on – um, government because they do borrow the money and they never pay it back. Um, they're unable there. It's an insolvent organization whose entire purpose for existence has, uh, is completely obsolete. Uh, they can be replaced by organizations that do seek profit and that can just as easily serve the, the, you know, betterment of, of democracy. If, if you want to say that, Um, they, are the largest carbon producer in the logistics industry. Wow. If you count them as part of the logistics industry. Um, and they largely, as I think all of us can, can, um, you know, can state from going out to our mailbox, they largely deliver completely and utterly useless garbage to us every single day in terms of, of junk mail. Well, right. And on that which note- is a huge portion of their contribution to to pollution and waste and all of those sorts of things.
0: Right. On that note, I think that's where you get companies are doing what they're enabled to do, right? the Different rates, the different meter, you know, all the special, uh, policies that lead to all this junk mail. I think that's where we need to make some changes so that, because Greg, to your point and, and James, I, I love the angle as, uh, as Rhonda says here, uh, not just lots of waste in our mailboxes, but uh, she appreciates your civil duty perspective. And I do too, James at the end of the day though, I think you got companies taking advantage of the rules and the services that are there. And that's what that, that's where I'd start the changes, right? Cause that stuff that hits your, our box, all of our boxes every day, not only to Greg's point, it's a ton of waste, but it's, it's abusing. It's not abusing because it's, they're not breaking rules, but that's what we got to change. I think, uh, and that's not
1: the core problem though. I mean, this is an, it, it's an inherently inefficient organization and as you know as james said they their job is to produce revenue so they are actually seeking out those people to mail all that junk to us hmm. right i mean and they are providing a platform for them to do so so um, there is no doubt that the amazons and the ups's and others use them as a last mile um but that is simply uh, that is simply a leveraging of their incredibly if- inefficient business model, which is to deliver every single day, regardless of what is inside the vehicle, to every single address, everywhere, in all of America. <laughs> right? That's just not
0: practical. Yeah,
1: James. Even the Pony Express delivered to they delivered to sort of hubs, and then you went and got your mail at the post office if you lived in the sticks somewhere. Huh. Right.
2: Are so you I mean, advocating for horses, Greg? Is that-
1: I think they could be a lot more efficient. Or fun. Yeah. But, you fun. know,
0: yeah, maybe motorcycles or something like that. So Let's try an electric right. uh, vehicle. James, uh, so based on what Greg said or any other thoughts related to these changes or, or the challenges that uh, face the USPS, any additional thoughts there? No,
2: no. Uh, Except to say, I was like, oh, they're slowing down. That must mean it's going to be more sustainable. But the, the bulk of the slowdown is because they're reducing their air mail by a lot. Mm-hmm. But They don't own any planes. They just like tag along in commercial <laughs> airlines. Mm, right. um, so those planes are still going in the air. So there's not even really that dramatic of a, a environmental impact, unfortunately.
1: Well, and the slowdown is largely on periodicals. One of the things that they called out was periodicals actually printed and published physical magazines that are going through the mail. Hmm. So they are, I mean, I think that's that's admirable as well, James, if you think about it. They're at least not rushing to send these huge wastes of paper that could easily be done electronically, yeah. right, to, through the mail to us. I mean, the, the news is already outdated by the time you get Time magazine. It's out of time. Um, so what's a day or two of extra shipping at that point?
0: Yeah, that was a great REM album, by the way, out of time from 1992. I believe, uh, Azalea says quality control, quality control. We need a lot more of that. Rhonda says, wow, sir, team Greg on this topic. Uh, Fred said profit is not a four letter word. Amanda says, uh, love Jane's perspective on the USPS. I was reading over the weekend. How many are very concerned about those delays, particularly those receiving medication and other vital documents and information through the mail? That's a great point, um, Amanda. Um, okay, so who would have thunk that the Postal Service creates such a intriguing right. conversation? Right? There's, there's, and and I love both of y'all's. Pers- there's all. There's no shortage of perspectives, but I think one thing that we can all agree on, hopefully, is big change, transformational change. Has to happen with the USPS. They are right?
1: really attempting it. I mean, Louis DeJoy is really trying to transform this organization, and if he can be in any way successful, I really think that there is huge opportunity there. Mm. But well, it's still, it's still, it still has this government mandate which allows it to hide behind incredible inefficiency, and I think that is the foundational flaw of its
0: construct. Okay. Well, so I'll throw this one last comment here from t Square, who holds down for, for us on YouTube, and he says that the Postal Accountability and Enhancement Act, so it was referring to their PAEA, is a major part of the losses. And I got to tell you, I'm not, I'm not up to speed on what all that act um, covers, but it says, quick Google search says it was the first major overhaul of the United States Postal Service since 1970. So we'll see. The conversation will continue.
2: Okay. I think That act sorry, sorry. Yeah, real quick, Scott. Yeah. I think that act basically said the post office had to pay for uh their workers' retirement ahead of time. That was one of the major provisions of the bill. Um which anyway, th- I not to I don't want to mm. get too political, but <laughs> it uh it definitely threw a, a a wrench in the works for uh operations.
0: Gotcha. That's a good point. Um lots of moving pieces with uh the the massive uh, service that is the United States Postal Service. Okay, let's move to a different topic here. I want to I want to bring up, um, you know, we, we talk a lot, despite all the technology, uh, innovations, Greg and James, and, and there's, there's the exciting thing, the good news there, there's a ton of that. But still, as we all have agreed numerous times, the people still make global supply chain happen. So this article here came out via uh, CNN Business. This is a, from a week or two ago. Uh, and You know all these folks keeping global supply chain moving forward, pandemic, no pandemic, you name it, making it happen. But one group of professionals that endured challenges perhaps that other different sectors didn't, and that's we're going to be talking about our ocean shipping workforce. So James, this article here it came from CNN Business. The workers who keep global supply chains moving are warning of a system collapse. That's the name of the article here. So James, what are your early takeaways? From this piece,
2: uh, yeah. Well, first of all, I just want to thank you guys for highlighting this. You, you know, I've been watching your show for a long time, and you always uh, routinely uh, cover uh, people that don't get covered very often. Um, <laughs> but I have to say, reading this, I was like, honestly, like a little bit ashamed that I didn't know what the sort of seafarers, the folks that are working on container ships, um, have been having to deal with. Um, because, you know, we know, you know, ocean containers and and seafarers, truckers, um, it's a hard job anyway. Right. Um, and the conditions that they've been subjected to over the past two years um have just been terrible. And they're really, you know, they're really the bedrock of how this whole game is played. Right. Um Mm -hmm. so, you know, the article talks about, you know, these folks that have been at sea for a year and a half um, forced to get uh, you know, multiple different kinds of va- vaccines. One guy had to get six shots cause each port has a different requirement for which vaccines approved or they can't get a vaccine. Um, or they're, you know, they're just sitting. I mean, when we t- we see all these news articles of other container ships lined up to the horizon, th- there are people on right. those, right. uh, that- those aren't just the of ships. Right. Um, so anyway, so if you haven't uh, read this or some of the follow-up reporting, I, I highly recommend it. The International Chamber of Shipping wrote an open letter to the UN um, and the WHO, basically begging for some amount of international international cooperation or or um, collaboration, mm-hmm. uh, just so there there could be a little bit of common sense applied, um, so these these people aren't kind of just taken for granted. Um, It's worth a read.
0: Excellent point. And, and James, I appreciate the things you highlighted too. Greg, what are some of your, your thoughts related to our global workforce and some of the signals that uh, these groups got together and pointed out and trying to drive change?
1: Yeah. I mean, some of these folks have been on, on the water for 18 months and it is because as James said, you know, one country has a, has a um, certain, um, Vaccine that they approve. So you you get you, if you want to go ashore, you have to get vaccinated or you have to quarantine. Even when these sailors go home, they have to um, they have to quarantine at home for a month before they can see their loved ones. In some cases, so many of them are from India, Indonesia, or or uh, the Philippines, and only twenty five to thirty percent of them have been vaccinated. They can't get off the ship to go get vaccinated. Um, there the, One of the stories was an American um, chief officer, her ship um, had to get special permission just to go to Singapore to be repaired. Then they weren't allowed off the ship while the ship was being repaired. So um, they have been 18 months effectively on, on the ship. Right. So, and you know, they talked also about uh, the way that even in the EU certain countries do a mandatory and unilateral uh, policy and then it forces other countries to to mimic that policy so they don't get stuck with truck drivers who can't um, you know who can't get into Germany for instance they don't get stuck in Italy um, and it created an incredible uh, difficulty for those those truck drivers as well because they were kind of caught in no man's land between a number of countries and while those countries work it out those people literally are starving they're literally without food or facilities right while they wait for a ruling from these government agencies and i think while the headline is maybe a little bit hyperbolic right the system is not about to collapse but it is causing incredible strain and some of those people may be about to collapse and certainly you can see as we saw early in the pandemic, those people who worked so hard and then got laid off or you know, or locked down, when the opportunity came to be freed, if you want to call it that, they didn't go back to work. And I could see a lot of that happening with a lot of these sailors not going back to work immediately. When the opportunity for them to actually get home comes, they're going to want some time off right. after spending 18 months effectively working every day
0: right now for me this goes back full circle to where we started right and we talked about we had right. two views one that we still got a lot of more challenges are escalating on the other side or oh, the worst is past i would argue that a lot of the anecdotes and experiences and challenges this article points to even if the the headline is a bit hyperbolic uh, as you say greg i think that um Spikes of football on the point that we still have big challenges coming because you got a ton of burnout, which Greg was was speaking to, and James you've been speaking to. Um, a lot of folks have been taking advantage of because they've been willing to do certain roles, certain rates, put up with certain conditions. And I think at a certain at, at some point in time, as Greg you pointed to, folks just didn't come back. They right? they they had had enough. So. I think this is a huge hurdle at the very least. I'm at least glad that it's becoming visible and these groups, uh, I'm not sure everything they're asking, uh, uh, from a policy or governmental regulation standpoint, you know, all of that. But the fact that it's these challenges and these pains and and these, um, person, these people have become visible. That's a great thing. And we'll see Mm -hmm. what, what industry does about it. Right. Um, so, uh, but James, I appreciate you pointing out because it is important to us. We're we're all we are definitely all about the people here at Supply Chain. Now, you know, I've been, you know, Greg and I both have spent time um, in the industry. You know, for me, a lot of it was uh, in manufacturing industry. The salt of the earth are the folks on those production floors uh, making it happen. You know, that's the Gimba. and uh, I just can't say enough about those people that come in and and every day, uh, you know, solving problems. Uh, creating value, um, you know, the camaraderie there. I mean, it, it's just, it's my one of my favorite parts about industry. But James, I'm going to give you one of the last words on this article before we move on to our fifth and final um, news today here for The Buzz.
2: Um I think, uh, you know, like you said, there's burnout and we're kind of at a, at least in this country, I think globally, we're, it seems like we're at a point where people are starting to evaluate what they do for a living, right? Um, and that's sort of cited as one of the reasons why we have such high unemployment and so many job openings at the same time. Um, and this is, you know, definitely put trucking and working a container ship on the list of most uh, difficult jobs. Uh, you know, even just on their personal lives, it's incredibly taxing. So right. that that's where I think the risk uh, remains um, if those sort of trends. Uh, play out.
0: Excellent point. Let's see what uh, uh, Judeanith. I think I got that right. Judeanith says here via LinkedIn, this is so right. Many people just see the tip of the iceberg. Customer on one hand asking for solutions out of the box, you name it, but they tend, and we all tend to forget the human aspect. Workers also get burnout mentally and physically. Big respect to all of them. Thank you so much for sharing that. And Ron, you've got similar comments God bless them and their families. Talking about the seafarers, I can't imagine the stressful situations they continue to face. And then going back to the last article, I want to point out one more thing. You know, T squared talked about the PAEA in 2006. Well, he is comes from a postal family, and I believe this point here. I think they've got to pay in. Is that 75 years ahead of time? Uh, for I'm not sure. But well, anyway, T squared, if you'd elaborate on that point there. Uh, but I appreciate your perspective, since especially since it's really close to home. But um, all right, so James and Greg, man, we got jam packed buzz. Almost, it's, it's almost it's a tidal wave of news to be working through today, isn't it, Greg and James? Yeah, let's keep going. Let's keep driving. Okay. <laughs> yeah. All right. So this final, you know, this final one may be the easiest thing we talk about here today because we're talking about uh, a new level of collaboration, innovative collaboration between Walmart in Home Depot and it looks like uh, Walmart is starting to land some uh, some early customers with it. So James, tell us what's going on here.
2: Uh so at a high level, uh Walmart has a, you know, a, a delivery infrastructure now and they're looking for other retailers uh, to hop on board. Uh, the most interesting part for for me is that it's a white label deal. Right. So you're not going to see Walmart plastered across your Home Depot box, which I just think is really interesting. It's you know shows at least a little bit that walmart are not just looking for a bunch of billboards floating around and being delivered on your doorstep. <laughs> um, they're actually serious about uh, the supply chain kind of opportunity. Um, beyond that, I think it's great for the future yep. because this is sort of a blueprint for other retailers—you know, medium-sized retailers or maybe even small retailers—that can band together and and do things like this. And I think the the hope is someday we we'll, you know we'll be able to look back and be like what how how did we ever have goods that are available locally clogging up our national supply chain when they could have just been you know some other retailer could have brought them over in the same step so the the optimist in me sees sees that side of things
0: love it uh, greg
1: i love the idea and i think it's interesting that home depot is who signed up first right um <clears throat> Because brand is very important to both of these companies. And as James said, the Home Depot deliveries will, I, I, the boxes at least, looks like they will be branded Home Depot. And the trucks will either be branded Go Local or something generic. So, um, you know, it's as James said, this is not just a pub publicity play. This is a real service to the industry. And it is a real, very real uh, service competitor to Amazon, um, you know, uh, FBS, right? So this is another one of those ABA type, um, applications, anyone, but Amazon as the service provider that, uh, hopefully will start to level the playing field eventually for some of these small retailers, as well as save energy and save time and save transportation and, and traffic in our neighborhoods. Right. Um, from delivery of some of these more, more local type goods.
0: Well, and we're going to look, we can all expect Walmart to continue to find ways of, of flexing its muscles when it comes to 4,700 uh, brick and mortar locations. You know, that, that's part of their, their ABA strategy for quite some time. This is like just the latest ripple. So I, I you know, to your point, Greg, I, I welcome it. You know, I think the more competition that other folks um, can can bring to the market when it comes to uh, e-commerce and and uh, delivery and 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 well, it's not e-commerce anymore, right, Greg? We've established that it's just commerce, just commerce, right? it's just yeah, commerce. That's right. Um, so this is really cool. I Look forward to seeing um what else Walmart does. You know, Greg, we had a chance, and James, you may have caught the episode we interviewed one of their uh truck drivers for Walmart. That's that was certainly one of my favorite episodes of the year. Uh, She's because, amazing. Yeah, she. April, I think, was his, his her first name. Yeah, that's right. And, man, we talk about an inspiring story. And, again, kind of those folks that never get any limelight. In fact, all they get is they get honked at all the time, you know, and and all the other challenges they get. But uh, love to see what Walmart and Home Depot are doing together. Uh, James, your final thoughts on our final article today. And, man, we're finished just a few minutes ahead of, ahead of schedule.
2: I hope somebody is – Tracking the sustainability impact of this, because just I mean, d- just imagine you're ordering a socket wrench on Home Depot.com instead of that thing coming from the like the distribution center wherever it is on a truck probably with a bunch of other stuff. It's coming in like a Civic or something, <laughs> and just uh you know parking without taking up too much space on your road, right? Because uh, the article you know they're talking about using normal passenger vehicles, which is fantastic. Um, so so that's a that's another uh. Upbeat note. I love that,
0: please. James. I love the upbeat and and the good news you bring to the table. Hey, really quick, we're gonna wrap with what's new in the Packurit world. But really quick, uh, I stumbled across a new YouTube channel. I love, you know, uh, when that when I have my my bowl of grits in the morning or whatever it is. I like finding new things on YouTube, and it's um, delivery drivers documenting their experiences and talk about a blind spot that probably many of us have and some of the challenges uh, and conversations they have. I, I find it really fascinating. So we'll have to find that link and put it up here. Okay.
2: It's a good point. It, the delivery drivers, they only get recognition if they do something wrong and are caught on a <laughs> ring camera. Like right. doing something bad.
0: You're so right. You're so right. And gosh, you think about those folks that have really kept, you know, kept at it and, and delivered groceries and other supplies during this time when a lot of folks didn't want to go, you know, go out and venture out. So, um, a lot more to come on there. All right. So James and Greg, uh, let's talk about Packure. Uh So really quick, two things, uh, James, let's make sure folks know what Packuret does, right? Because sure. your company's been on the move. And then secondly, any news and, and how can folks connect with you?
2: Sure. So uh, Pacurate is a cartonization as a service company. So we have a API that retailers large and small use um, at the packing step or somewhere in the warehouse sometimes in the online shopping cart, they send our API a message with all the information about the shipment and we send back packing instructions uh, with an image. Um, and I, I would say my piece of news is related to uh, kind of actually what we do, because um, kind of our, our kind of novel approach to the problem has to do with reconciling external cost factors like carrier rates and fees, material costs, labor, all that stuff. And so um, I'm not sure if it's news, but a recent trend, some of our newer customers have come to us because they've decided to take the strategy of diversifying uh, their carrier relationships. So they're using a whole set of new carriers that they haven't used before that have different pricing models. Um, So they send all that pricing information to us and we're able to say, okay, because this is going, you know, carrier A instead of ups this time it's actually one box instead of two because of xyz um so kind of a tie-in to i guess what we talked about a couple weeks ago with the the multi-carrier strategy but um, pretty cool to see it play out on our side
0: i bet you need to call walmart it sounds like
2: (laughs) you know i try to call walmart they don't take my calls
0: (laughs) well you you know i I love i love how kind of um you're using that uh, almost like an insider's um, guide, insider's information, and and rates, and 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 get and letting folks kind of uh, compete and work with these carriers uh, in a much more intelligent manner, uh, saving money, saving time, saving headaches. It sounds like to me, James.
2: Yeah, that I think that's what you know we've come to see in our space, which is you know fairly niche uh, packing, uh, but obviously it's got a lot of ramifications. But when you make a big you know, strategic change, you got to look just like those two articles where one was kind of myopic and one was looking at the big picture. You really have to track the ramifications of every major change you make in your supply chain. That's right.
0: Mm, well said. All right. So James, as much as I hate it, uh, our hour with you is just about up. Um, Greg, your final thought when we still have James here, any, anything you want to add to what he and the Packert team are doing?
1: I just love, I love two aspects of it about, about it. It's um, the sustainability aspect of it and the economic leveling of the playing field, if you will, because we've talked, Scott, you and I have talked for years about the complex and ob, sometimes intentionally obfuscatory methodology of billing for shipping that the carriers use, some especially the big carriers. Um, and how that impacts companies after the fact when they can't do anything about it except pay the exorbitant additional fee. And I think this, because I'm a huge fan of e-commerce as a main driver of commerce, this is an ability to make and continue to assure that e-commerce and last mile delivery is sustainable and economically feasible because I really doubt whether the big carriers can or are willing to, make it feasible, at least in the long term, as we've seen their share prices and profits go up during a time of crisis. It's hardly a service to the consumer that they that has caused all of that profit. So I think this opportunity for companies to be able to compete and to be able to sustain their e-commerce efforts is um, not, not just no, cool and innovative and a fantastic optimization technology, but it's a really noble mission, and I just really appreciate it.
0: Love it, and uh, James, you're like uh, you're like chicken soup for the soul, and and you're nice and calm and, wow. and deliberate cadence, and how you communicate. You really are. I was thinking of some other analogies, but that's one I settled on. Uh, James, chicken
2: soup for the soul. Chicken soup for the soul. Um, well, you guys are like the minestrone of supply
0: chain oh man oh it's a, it's a love fest as we wrap up <laughs> I the think buzz. that's good yeah <laughs> I, think I, so. I love i've never liked minestrone man oh sorry but hey that's okay
1: uh, you prefer the wedding suit yes right italian wedding we're, we're the yeah.
0: um we're the <laughs> we're the beefaroni of <laughs> supply <laughs> chain <laughs> so, oh love all chef boyardee okay so james let's make sure so pacurate.io is right. your site uh james is a great uh, individual to follow and connect with on social. You're mainly active, would you say, on LinkedIn and Twitter?
2: I'd say so, yeah. LinkedIn, uh, my LinkedIn's open, so shoot me a message. I'd love to talk about anything supply chain related. Uh, Twitter, I'm uh, at Mr. Malley, Mr. Spelled out. <laughs> mm, Mr. Malley. Mr. Mally. <laughs> All right.
1: I, I would have thought that would be your dad. Well,
2: he, I he couldn't I, get to Twitter. It, yeah, right before he could get on.
0: <laughs> well, hey. Best wishes to the Malley family. Bob, really enjoyed your uh, jumping on here today. And thanks again for hosting Bob Malley. uh, The Buzz is sponsored by Bob Malley. (laughs) He didn't even know it. Uh, At least one third of the Buzz. But uh, James, always a pleasure. You know, we're not going to Zoom you out. We're going to wrap with you right here. We're a minute or two over. Um, Really enjoyed uh, all of our conversations today and your take on it. And I know what's, what's even better is how there wasn't, hundred percent consensus. That's a good thing, right? It means you're having a really frank, informative, and educational and hopefully enlightening conversation. And by the way, Bob says, that's my name. So y'all <laughs> have to, your attorneys will have to duke it out over <laughs> Mr. Malley on Twitter. All right. On that note, big thanks to James Malley with Packard. Again, learn more at packard.io. Uh Greg, what is uh, one thing you're looking forward to this week? And then I'm going to sign off.
1: Wow. Um, Wow. That's a great question. I'm looking forward to getting home because I've been on the road, frankly, since last Wednesday. So I'm really looking forward to that. And that starts today. So if you could, you and the Chamber of Commerce could do anything about the weather in Atlanta. Just make sure it's welcoming when I get <laughs> person.
0: Well, hopefully, we'll be celebrating an Atlanta Braves uh, win here today on the third game of the NLDS. But we'll save that for another time. Big thanks again, to James Mallard Packard. Big thanks to Greg White. Hey, everyone behind the scenes, Jada, Alley, Amanda, Clay, you name it. Uh, big thanks. Everybody that showed up. I know we couldn't get hit everybody's perspective, but really appreciate uh, your contributions today, folks. If you remember anything here today, do good, give forward, be the change that's needed. Be just like James Malley. I was too quick for even Greg White's fingers there. (laughs) Uh, And have a wonderful week. We'll see you next time right back here on Supply Chain Now. Thanks, everybody. See you guys. Take care.
1: Thanks for being a part of our Supply Chain Now community.